All right. Hello and welcome to Trash Talk Podcast. I am your host, Recycle Michael, here with Randy Russell today. Randy is an independent compost and recycling consultant, uh, does all kinds of projects out in the field. But um, we've got a chance to work together a few times on some interesting projects, sorting trash, doing waste characterization studies and whatnot. And so here today, um, we're going to be talking about the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic and its impact on recycling and uh, waste management programs, as well as whatever other topics come up. So welcome, Randy. Hey, thanks, Recycle Michael. Thanks for inviting me to talk trash. I like that. Um, Recycle Michael. Maybe I can do something with my last name, Russell, to like Randy Recycle. Uh, Randy Recycle. Yeah, I like it. You've inspired it, me. We do so many events and uh, people have trouble remembering my name and, and it's just a, an easy way for people to remember. Oh yeah, call Recycle Michael. Yeah, yeah, it's clever. I can get your recycling. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, so how uh, have you been? You're on quarantine, huh? Yeah, I'm on quarantine. I'm taking it fairly serious. I did break it last night to go help a friend uh, put together some new furniture um, that she bought. Cause you know, if we're going to be hunkered down for another six to 10 weeks, you want to be, want to be comfortable. Um, and so, yeah, I went over there, um, which was nice. It was really well needed. It was my first really human interaction like that for, for like a week. So, um, so that was good. And uh, yeah, for the most part, just rolling with it. Yeah. I'm getting used to it. I'm getting acclimated. We're in day 12. Starting to get adjusted to this new paradigm. How is it? Yeah, I mean, at at first it was super rough for me, but uh, I'm settling in quite nicely, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, it's not mandatory staycation. Yeah, it's like mandatory stay at home and clean. I mean, I'm getting a lot of cleaning done, which has given me some sense of accomplishment for each day. Good. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, and it's kind of like gives you time to you know, work on like some other like personal creative projects that I'm slowly getting into as, as, as my, as my like tolerance for movie watching and binging, um, declines, like my, my activity, my creative activity is, in, is increasing. So I, you know, it's, there's some silver lining in all this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've been uh, fortunate enough to be watching the new Star Trek uh, Picard series. That's kept me entertained, but I really can't just sit in front of a TV all day. So I've been yeah. also doing some creative projects and uh, some cleaning for sure. And uh, a lot of gardening, a lot of, uh, you know, other little side projects like this podcast here. This is our uh, third episode now. So lucky number three, lucky number three. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I was surprised myself at like the capacity that I had for, you know, movie and, and binging on internet porn and things like that. Um, <laughs> like five <laughs> days. Wow. I went five days. Um, 
of like nothing but that and sleeping and some eating. But it was like, oh, yeah, a, there's been a lot of eating. Yeah. Was like there's snacking and then there's, you know, meals where they're kind of weird. And then there's a lot more snacking. And I just made lemon poppy seed loaf. You know, there's been a lot of baking going on, which isn't something I normally indulge in. Nice. Right. Yeah. Cause it takes like time and concentration to bake stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I'm usually so busy and with all the events, it's like one thing after another. Now with our calendar just completely cleared, it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of nice to just be home. And, and yeah, and you know what else I like? It's like, if you want to bake between like two in the morning, you can start baking at two in the morning. Like this is like another thing is I feel like I'm in this weird, uh, timeless where like time doesn't really have any type of bearing or we don't have any bear times, no bearing. Right. Like, there's, there's like really not much as much of a schedule. Right? There's no like morning traffic or, you know, rush hours, like all of that's pretty much eliminated. And I found myself kind of like holding odd hours. And, and I think that's where I'm at is like trying to get back into like, you know, not being nocturnal, whatever the opposite of nocturnal was. Um, diurnal. Di- is it diurnal? I believe so. Nice. But yeah, trying to get back to diurnal. Sounds like some type of like medical procedure on, on your urethra. No, that's the diurinal. Gotta get a diurinal. I believe, yeah. What's the diagnosis on your diurinal? Uh, no, I still, I'm sticking to the one. <laughs> right. Yeah. Monogamy with my urinals. Um, so anyways, uh, yeah. So that's kind of, um, kind of where I'm all at. Um, trying to find the fun in all of it. Well, I never uh, imagined you having a problem finding the fun in whatever situation you're in, but uh, you also seem to have had kind of an inside uh, insider's perspective. You have your finger on the pulse of what's going on in a couple of communities around here in the Bay Area and how, um, you know, some uh, large companies that we think of as essential service providers are, are also being impacted and uh, either reducing service or, or kind of changing what... Um, is available right now. Why don't we talk about, you know, the impact on the the rest of the industry at large besides our own personal calendars that have been decimated. <laughs> no, I got you. Yeah. Um, so what's, well, you know, one of the openings that I've had in all this, this new free time is because um, some of the contracts that I have are with municipalities uh, and providing technical assistance to businesses on mandatory recycling and compost collection ordinances at either city or state levels of requirements. And, and so that's completely gone away. That's been impacted, right? So we're not doing any auditing of, of a business's trash recycling or compost containers if they have it. And, you know, we, we look, for contamination, we call it, which is basically, you know, trash in the recycling or recycling in the trash. Anything, you know, if you have black or blue in the green or green and black in the blue or blue and green in the black, did I get yeah, that? You're crossing the streams. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's right. It's like Ghostbusters. You don't want to cross the streams. Uh, so anyways, yeah. So it, it was odd. I've almost, I think maybe they, the, the, the ones who I worked at 
may have had this in their, or like the whole Cordova shutdown may have been kind of on their radar because a few weeks ago, um, like four weeks ago, they said we couldn't touch the trash anymore. We're supposed to do these visual assessments, but we couldn't, we couldn't like empty the bags, which is what I preferred to do is actually, you know, empty the entire top layer of bags so I can see what's all in there. But then they're just like, and I, and I was like, what about tools? Can we use tools to open stuff up or at least turn bags over? Um, no response to that one. So, uh, yeah. And then as of Monday, the 16th, all, um, compliance and enforcement to bit for businesses, uh, stopped, which I, you know, makes sense. Most of the businesses are shut down. Um, all like, I think, I think we're going to see a lot of service level changes in the commercial sector. So, um, we're so seeing I, that already where, um, in San Francisco, Recology, for example, is just, uh, switching from every, every day to every other day or even less if needed. Uh, they're doing it automatically. It seems like. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that too. I also was CC'd on a, uh, on an email from a, a, a manager of a, a, of a hotel, um, part of a chain like crown Royal Plaza and, um, requesting a service change because they went, they had gone from 90% uh, full, full in the hotel to 10% and they're hardly generating anything. So um, I found that pretty interesting from the, uh, ho- you know, hotels, I guess they're still, they're, they're still open for business um, through all this. I've seen a lot of closed ones as well. I'm, I'm not yeah. sure that might be on a case by case. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't really thought about it till just now. Um, so yeah, it's probably going to be a while, I think, before everything bounces back to the point where businesses will be audited to make sure they have all the services and, um, required, uh, uh, you know, of, you know, local or state mandate. Uh, and you know, it just gets me thinking about, um, every, like, I feel like what we're seeing with like the, with waste management is a pretty good indication of what, like how the disruption is overall where um, they've shut down, you know, like the buyback centers. So I I just, I think there's like indicators of economic crisis um, occurring already. And and one place to look is like the canary in the coal mine, I think is with waste, the waste, our waste management. Well, exactly. You know, we've been talking about trying to reduce the per capita waste generation and um, go away from our recycling diversion as our uh, how we, you know, judge our success at at our um, zero waste goals instead of going, you know, toward 75, 85 percent diversion, 100 percent diversion. Now we're looking more like, you know, per capita generation, per capita generation, like 4.5 pounds a day has, has been average. And Unfortunately, even though we've been recycling more and composting more as a percentage, we've seen that per capita waste generation number continue to climb. And that's been, you know, concerning. And the only time that there's been a downward trend in that was back in 2008 when we had the last economic collapse and not collapse, but a recession in that case. And, uh, you know, I, I think we're going to see the same thing here or waste generation is just going to be plummeting and it's probably going to track with the economy. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good point that you make as far as kind of looking at, you know, the historic milestone of the uh, 2008 recession. Um, it's a real good point. I don't, you know, I wasn't really w looking super closely at the um, impacts at that time, even though I was uh, just finishing up a graduate degree in, in like waste management resource recovery. Because uh, I wasn't really doing my homework there. Well, you know, I'm I'm a numbers guy. I'm always looking at, uh, you know, whatever reports are coming out and, um, I'm always also looking to see if we're meeting those goals. Like California was supposed to hit a 75% recycling rate by, uh, 2020. And, you know, lo and behold, I went on the website and looked at our current diversion rate and sure enough, there hasn't been any data published in two, three years. So, uh, it's kind of hard to say where we're at and I have a feeling we're not hitting that 75% uh, statewide. What so. was the last report saying? I you believe it was done in 2018 and it was not 75%. It was yeah. less than that. Yeah. Uh, I, I seem to recall that it was like a little bit over half, right? Like far away from 75. Still? Oh man, I need to go back. I think it was a little better than that. Um, I was actually starting to write an article about it before everything happened here. And I was even calling Cal Recycle trying to get information. I was like, Hey, what's our diversion rate in 2020? Are we meeting our goals? But <laughs> yeah, everything. It's, yeah. It's, yep. Yeah. So, uh, I had read that like waste management incorporated is, is allowing businesses to kind of stair step back their services or even their um their service levels or perhaps like even their service altogether um if nothing's being generated um yeah, yeah it I makes sense but i think they're also um using it as an excuse you know the sure. recycling markets are in the dumps. So if there's, you know, a, a labor crunch at all and um, there's any reason why they could say, well, we're not going to sort right now because it actually costs more to sort plastic, for example, than uh, you can sell it for thanks to, you know, the global state of markets even before this whole thing. Um, I feel like, you know, maybe, maybe it is uh, just a, a convenient excuse to stop sorting in a lot of cases, but also a lot of these facilities rely on prison labor and they're one of the most at risk populations for COVID infection. Um, unfortunately it's kind of a dirty secret within recycling that um, a fair number of the large MRFs rely on prison labor to huh. come in and do um, actual manual sorting. And uh, that's, uh, it's been put on hold, not only for the prisons uh, that are, kind of ending these work release programs uh, for the time being. But um, we, we want to protect recycling workers for sure. And there was a study that came out that said it this um, virus could persist on surfaces like plastic or steel for three days or so. But I feel like if you're wearing the appropriate PPE, you're not really going to have a high chance of exposure if you're uh, on a sort line. But I suppose if there was something under pressure that um, 
that sprayed or something. That stuff kind of, it happens, not frequently, but it does happen. So there could be some exposure risk there. Yeah, I had just heard yesterday that it could um, live on cardboard. Gosh, I wanted, I think it was eight to 10 days. I was thinking it was eight to 10 hours until you just um, mentioned like the uh, three days. So it must be more than eight to 10. I saw that uh, as well for the cardboard, but you know, what are you going to lick cardboard? I mean, how, huh. that's, if it, it, you're only going to get it if, I guess if you were to touch the cardboard and somehow then touch your face, is that, would that or, be? Or maybe food. So what I was thinking about was, you know, all these farm box deliveries and these food, these meal deliveries that are coming through Amazon or, you know, their mail order and then they show up in a cardboard box. I was thinking more along those lines of, of the meal and food delivery to residents are often in cardboard yeah. boxes. It's true, but I feel like there's enough precautions going on where delivery drivers are wearing gloves and um, hopefully not sneezing on your packages or anything. That would be the only risk. I think it's mostly person to person. And if you see it um, or if someone's like able to sneeze on you somehow or cough on you, then you're really, uh, that's when your exposure risk would be. Yeah. I, I could be wrong. I'm no expert on infectious diseases, but. Um, <laughs> it's unfortunate that a lot of recycling is apparently going to landfill now and there's not a lot of monitoring going on. So businesses could be, um, getting lazy with their sorting and just throwing everything in the trash. But I don't think anyone's going to miss a, a month's worth of recycling here. I think overall our best bet is protecting people's, uh, health and Aaron on, on the side of an abundance of caution here. But it is, it is somewhat concerning to see these recycling programs either uh, cut services, skip large um, item collection days, um, or just not even process recyclables for sorting and landfill at all. Yeah, I mean, because I'd be wondering what, if there's even any markets for recyclables right now. Right. Well, actually, there's um, an interesting crunch going on here where Plastic manufacturers are are uh, coming up short. There's been a lot of delays in delivering packages for uh, products that people are making. A lot of bottles and uh, you know supply companies are sold out and not going to get anything for another month or two. So, uh, like for hand sanitizer, for example, a lot of people are making it themselves, but there are no bottles available anywhere, and people are starting to blame the the plastics industry for not producing enough of this stuff because they're shut down. So the whole economy is really like taking a hit here and it's not just recycling. It's virgin plastic uh, manufacturing. It's manufacturers of all types and, and all materials that are, are either going through work stoppages. Uh, you know, their employees are at home uh, not able to come to work because of shutdowns, things like that. Uh, UPS, I know has had um, quite a few delays here and, and getting stuff delivered for, uh, the state of California, at least, on shutdown. Post office seems to be going fine, but yeah, there, there's big uh, disruptions to the economy, not just the recycling industry, but uh, you know, the colleagues that I have in the event recycling world are all just completely wiped out in terms of their schedule and um, 
anticipated income for the year. We've, we've all been just devastated looking at a year with potentially no income or very low income. Yeah. Yeah. Other than I, I, the unemployment that I think they said could be collected until July, but still, like you said, it's going to probably be the rest of the year as far as live events go. Uh, yeah, we've had some try to reschedule for September or late September, but I'm not even confident that that's happening. And if it is, everything's going to be happening in September and we're going to have just a super busy fall. And then, you know, maybe I think that's optimistic, but I'm, I'm hoping that's the case. Yeah. I'm, it, I, my, my, I get speechless whenever I think about this large scale impact in the foreseeable future, as far as the economics, the, the way we work, the, what we produce, the way we produce stuff, way we consume. I mean, I think this is going to be a big game changer. Um, you know, almost like, I mean, it could be up there with other really large scale, uh, humanity behavior changes like, you know, coming home from World War II and moving from the cities to the country or the Vietnam War and how polarizing it was to the, to the country and like the emergence of hippies and, uh, you know, uh, uh, civil rights and feminist rights, uh, which is all, all, all good things. Um, a lot of, you know, so I guess, I guess it will, might have a positive impact or a positive change. Just it has that potential, you know, we could get the Green New Deal and it could be a, a game changer, you know, maybe universal basic income or some sort of actual social safety net might uh, result in, in the end of all this. But uh, the way it looks right now is uh, like we're in the midst of this crisis and there's not a lot of um, solutions being offered to us at this point. So uh, I feel like we're in a wait and see moment, but I also think over the next couple months, people are going to get uh, to the point where they're just going to demand some change because a lot of people are out of work right now and, and, uh, the economy is not functioning. No, right. Yeah. It's, it's not functioning at all. And I think one of the main services that is still, you know, thankfully, um, functioning or in operation to the the most extent possible is, is, you know, our, our garbage trucks and recycling and picking, you know, making pickups to the residential sector, you know, like, yeah, you know, things are really bad when the garbage stops. Yeah. That's a pretty, yeah, that's a really good indication of how bad things can get. Uh, it's interesting. I was watching, um, her, the movie, her earlier earlier today with spike jones uh wrote and directed it's about um it's, it's in the it's based in the future and it's basically uh operating systems being um companions to humans and but i was noticing the the outdoor collection containers was only um they were like there were two there was like a they were dual stream collection containers which um, I thought was, you know, okay, they, they thought at least about that much, 
but they didn't quite hit it, right? Because, you know, in that far in the future, which may be like 2040 or something like that, um, I would think that there would be all three streams um, for like outdoor collection. You don't think they would have moved to a wet dry system by then? That would be like uh, organics and compost and then everything else is recycled. They, they could have done that or they could have anticipated a uh, devastating viral epidemic or pandemic that stopped the garbage. <laughs> well, you know, one of my favorite flicks, even though it's hard to watch sometimes is idiocracy and that, opens up famously with the great trash avalanche of 25, 12 or whatever it is. And, um, and there's just, uh, this, you know, they've been piling up landfill garbage into these mountains and finally it tips over and just sends a tsunami wave of trash through the town. Really? That movie was, is like a prophecy in my opinion. Sadly. Yeah. It has been, um, a little bit on point, uh, scary enough uh, as it is. Yeah, I mean, if every if we already have an issue with landfill space, and we're in some new paradigm where you know that like the the markets for recycling just aren't there um, because of some type of global economic slowdown, uh, our landfills are going to fill up a lot quicker. Well, actually, you know, we might have bought ourselves some time with this whole thing. Uh, I would imagine now that people aren't going out and the economy is not grinding away like it is that landfills could have bought themselves a, another couple months, at least so far. And uh, depending on how rough and, and uh, long lasting this recovery is, landfills might have uh, quite a bit more time added to their lifetime. That's a good Especially point. with the cardboard, you know, and, and some of these materials that have been um, you know, having their markets evaporate, uh, we're planning to bring a lot of recycling capacity for fibers online in, in the United States in the next uh, two years, like 2022. We're going to start opening a lot of uh, domestic cardboard recycling capacity uh, from what I've read. And I think we'll have more on that on the next show, but um, this might have bought us some time where, hey, we're using less cardboard. Meanwhile, are we yeah, get these facilities up and running unless those get delayed as well, which is a possibility. Yeah. But you make a good point that, you know, if you look at it from the perspective that like, you know, half of the, half of the, of the entities that generate trash and recycling uh, is basically shut down, right? Your commercial businesses, your construction and demo uh, construction industry. So yeah, kind of thinking, talking, trash talking our way through this. I, I see what you're saying, how this, there could be actually less being generated. Oh, I, I'm sure of it. And it's unfortunate that um, pretty much everyone I've talked to that does waste characterization studies and waste audits has, has been put on hold. But, um, you know, they were told it would be a non-representative sample. So why do it? And I'm thinking, well, this would be a great, time to come and collect some samples and see, you know, what kind of impact this is having on our uh, waste generation practices. Like you're saying, you know, commercial is probably way down. Residential is probably up um, unless, you know, a lot of people are really going and, uh, un, you know, doing unpackaged foods, growing gardens, which I'm seeing an increase of, you know, we're seeing more compost being sold and seeds are sold out at nurseries around me. But 
you know, that'll take a while before people are really like eating out of victory gardens and, and whatnot if we get there. So I, I have a feeling for now, residential trash is probably quite a bit more than usual. Um, I got a little funny story about that. Uh, more, you, you seeing an increase in, in compost dirt being sold. Uh, I was at a cannabis business conference in Oakland about a year and a half, maybe two years ago. And one of the trade show vendors was Recology selling compost, letting the, you know, promoting their compost that they, that they produce, um, the dirt uh from composting and oh yeah compost is you know it goes on cash crops primarily right now grapes and uh almonds and cannabis around here in california but i i was i was thinking though from the perspective of being kind of you know inside that waste characterization realm of being like you know a little skeptical of all the inputs you know that's going into you know a large-scale a waste management companies compost because a lot of the operation compost operations I see that of companies that are taking residential and commercial materials do not have clean. What's going in is like a lot of plastic, a lot of organics, but a lot of plastic film. So, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely involved in that um, in that world too. Looking at uh, how contaminated waste streams are, and even going upstream and helping. Uh, eliminate some of that comp that contamination from the source. San Francisco has some great new programs uh, right now. There's a zero waste facilitation law. So if anyone is audited by the hauler ecology and in their compost, it's over 5% contamination, um, 25% for the recycling and I believe 40% for the uh, trash, then um, they will get fined. Their rates go up 50% and they have to hire someone to come in and clean up their waste stream for them. So, you know, we're actually helping some businesses that aren't shut down right now and uh, continuing to make sure they're diverting properly. But yeah, most of those businesses have shut down and our services have been curtailed, but there's a couple that are considered essential businesses that still need us out there restaurants that uh, are doing food deliveries still can't figure out how to properly sort. So still need to be out there doing that upstream, but I, I agree. Uh, composters generally do not want to take, um, you know, compostable plastics. If they do, they see a lot of other plastics in there. That was the topic on our last show, but um, people still don't get it. Like what's uh, compostable and what's not. And it's really hard to sort after the fact. Compost is super sticky and wet and pulling plastics and contaminants out of it is, is an issue. I think microplastics in the compost is also a concern. But uh, generally, you know, the composting process, I think, would, uh, if done right, eliminate a lot of the concerns that a grower might have for um, putting that kind of material, even if it is from a pretty mixed source like, you know, San Francisco or uh, commercial um, residential mixed organic stream uh, anywhere. Uh, if done right, it's, it's probably pretty low risk to put that stuff on your, on your crops. Well, good. Good. I want to, the thing is uh, if you do want to use organic certified compost on your crop, if you're selling your crop as an organic crop, then you wouldn't be able to use that stuff because any uh, compostable plastic or engineered 
uh, input into that compost and make the compost not organic, therefore reducing the price that uh, they could sell the compost for. So composters don't really want to do that. But um, there's also just not a huge demand for non-organic compost because so much of the market for compost currently is for these cash crops. Got it. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, we wouldn't want anybody smoking BPA, right? BPA, (laughs) you know, would that even be present in the compost? I don't think so. You know, that's a plastic additive and the plastic it uh, generally would get screened out of the compost at the latest, if not sorted out uh, earlier on. And, uh, you know, plastic doesn't degrade in, in the compost. So I think that would be screened out unless there was a micro like microplastic piece that had some BPA in it. And that BPA somehow was, um, not, destroyed by the heating and, and everything in the pile, but would it even be something that could be absorbed by the plant? I don't think so. You know, I, I think that would be pretty low risk stuff. It's more like, you don't want the BPA in your, um, can of soup with your tomato sauce. That's very like acidic and going right into your, your pot to eat. That, that's more of a concern for me. Way to kill my joke with science, Michael. <laughs> Hey, you know, we're talking trash and, and sometimes uh, people, people get confused. People don't know what's, uh, what's what. And I try to keep it as, uh, as factual as I can. I appreciate joking around, but I, I don't want people to be like, oh, no, there's compost on my pot so I can't smoke it, you know? Right, right, right. It's, it's probably you're going to get better pot than if you didn't compost on it. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So it's cool that you're able to still stay, uh, stay in business on some of your, um, waste sorting. Oh, barely. I mean, we've had over 90% of our work just cleared off for the, the time being, uh, had to lay off most of our workforce. Unfortunately, hopefully we can hire people back and, and get working again. Uh, but it's been a really rough patch and we're doing bare minimum right now just to stay operational. I've had to cut my salary to zero and um, just doing what I can to keep the, the business afloat while we're um, seeing all kinds of contracts just dry up or put on hold. Do you think after this uh, shelter in place is over that it'll return to business as usual as far as from like an like a compliance and enforcement perspective from uh, the cities to the businesses? You know, I do. I think this is going to last longer than it needs to because there's not a consistent approach uh, nationally. And uh, here in California, I think we're starting to see things level off. This weekend might even be a peak from what the numbers I'm, I'm seeing people put out there is. Um, you know, we might see things start to recover, but you know, it could be later like June or July because so many other States aren't doing any kind of shelter in place or uh, even social distancing. So this could end up getting drawn out a lot longer than it needs to because of the lack of leadership and decisive action. Yeah. Well, and also I'm thinking though, a lot of existing businesses may shut, you know, may shut down small businesses 
that are on, you know, like the main street, brick and mortar businesses in retail sell stuff, uh, restaurants uh, might shut her up. And then, and then new businesses roll into that space in which you have an opportunity to implement, you know, being compliant to city or county or state mandates right from the beginning so that there's not a behavior change that's involved, which I think is what makes compliance and enforcement of existing businesses and operations such a, a challenging task because it, it, you know, it involves behavior change. It involves oftentimes an increase in your service bill. So perhaps from that perspective, from that vantage point, there won't be as much um, enforcement, but, you know, technical assistance with businesses on uh, right sizing and properly setting up the collection, internal collection program. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I think a lot of businesses are going to, you know, close, new ones will open. And uh, in a lot of ways, we'll be starting from square one with new businesses and old businesses, hopefully will um, be able to retain what, what they've learned and, and whatnot. But sure, there's going to be a lot of new staff because a lot of people got laid off and now we have new people and they need training and it's going to be chaos. But uh, hopefully there is a lot of work for consultants and people coming in to hold hands and, um, you know, maybe there'll be some stimulus through government spending on recycling um, facilitation and, and uh, really tackle some of these goals. Cause we have, like I was talking about with uh, AB 341 and how um, it was passed back in 2011 saying that California would have um, a policy goal of not less than 75% of solid waste generated be source reduced, recycled, or composted by 2020. And, you know, if we weren't there uh, yet, maybe now we'll have a, a way to get there by just really spending a lot of stimulus money to like really focus on developing those uh, source reduction, recycling or composting yeah. programs. Well, I, I think that that's my hope. This experience is like global experience and certainly national experience will will wipe the slate clean in a lot of different ways. You know, it's if, if, if it's no longer business as usual and then you're starting business, that whole process back up again, um, you're, it's a, it's a new beginning. So I think. Right. But how many people are going to be scared away from doing like a reusables program or, um, something that involves, uh, you know, more handling of discards. Like I'm hoping that people don't just right. try to go single use everything and, you know, no string and, and this and that. So, I always say the problem is the solution and we need to look at this as an opportunity to design our, our systems in a way that protects human health and also environmental health. And there are ways that you can do reusables that don't, um, you know, have any more additional risk than um, a single use disposable. And I think there are examples of reusables uh, programs out there like that. Uh, you know, ones that, don't allow you to bring your own container for refill necessarily, but one that would provide you a reusable container that you could return and then it would get properly sanitized so that there's no 
uh, risk at all of, of cross-contamination or spreading something around by accepting a, a bring-your-own container. I really don't think the risk is, is that big for bringing your own container if um, protocols are followed properly. But like you're saying, you know, there's a lot of training involved there, like using a, a clean utensil to, to serve into that then gets sanitized. Um, we, we might see a, a shift away from those kind of bring your own containers to more, uh, you know, facilitated, uh, standardized, reusable containers that get... Um, separated, sanitized, and then reused. I would it. like to envision the, that there's a, a, like a huge, just a kind of a approach and behavior change to our relationship with utensils and, and cups where it's like a future where everybody, I had like, they have like a little like burning man belt with all the little components, little uh, compartments and pockets. And, you know they're used to like hold your your cutlery and your cup and so everybody's just in charge of their own utensils and uh and cups <laughs> you have a lot of faith yeah. in people well you know maybe 10 percent of people would be um totally. that, uh, good to do so but um, and I think that's a hard ask. So having a, a more um, unified system that ensures that everybody is getting something sanitary well, the, the key. might be the way to go in the face of this. You know, I, I bring my own mug as everywhere I go, and I try to keep it sure. clean. But sometimes I'll refill well, it without washing. I think the key is it. that it's not you don't have it's not an ask. It doesn't include an ask. It, it's a fad, and people want to do it because it's the cool thing to do. Yeah, you know, maybe we'll see more of those uh, touchless dispensers like for soap at the sink. You know, if everyone's touching that soap dispenser thing, then, you know, that's a potential contamination thing. So now everything is just like this automatic squirt. You just like put your hand near it. Maybe they'll, they'll do yeah, something I like that with the issue, coffee right? dispenser. Like some, some food service businesses will say, you know, oh, it's a health, um, public health thing. We can't we can't fill up your cup um, because of the taps or something, exposure to the taps, uh, like at, you know, some bars. Um, or I know that was the response at, uh, at the horse racing track uh, that I uh, assisted. So. Right. And, and that's a, also a way a lot of places track sales is, uh, you know, they track cups. If you go to a gas station or something, you know, they associate each uh, cup sale with a drink sale. It's not necessarily how much syrup they're going through or, or whatnot. So, I mean, it's easy to enough to put on a, a cash register, a POS button for bring your own cup. But, you know, business owners sometimes worry that there's going to be, um, you know, an employee that's hooking their friends up for free, giving them free drinks and not tracking it because they brought their own cup. So... I think we are going to see a shift toward uh, reusables that are are managed in some way and less of this, you know, bring your own, do your own thing kind of thing. But that's just, uh, yeah. you know, speculation. Yeah, it remains to be seen of how, how we settle back into, uh, you know, viral disease risk and what 
what barriers we put in place to calm our anxieties of like catching catching uh, illness. Uh, and hopefully one of those will not be an impact on sharing reusables. But we'll see. Yeah, and there's a lot that uh, could change in everyone's world really after this. I think we are, like you said, at, at one of those disruption points where uh, we're going to come out of this and things will be different. Uh, whether that's you know different economic programs, different government uh, types of things, uh, full-on political revolution, or maybe not, or maybe there's some uh, more social welfare. Who knows? Uh, but I think trash is is going to change too. So we'll have to revisit this topic at, at a later date and say, yeah, wow, you know, these things changed, and remember right. how it used to Hopefully be. Hopefully, it's not too far from now. You know, I'm going to play a bit, a clip from 2020. It's like a five-year-old bit, <laughs> right? Because it take us, takes us that long to get back into the swing of things. Hopefully not. Who knows? Yeah. I, I don't think it'll be five years, but I think looking back five years from now, we'll say, wow, you know, we didn't expect these things to change. Yeah. And now they're completely different. You know, now there's holograms. Um, bring your own container now or you know all packaging needs to have recycled content who would have thought that it's a great way to stimulate the economy if it's all domestically recycled whole new industry you know maybe that's that's what happens that'd be happen. great we'll see yeah who knows it could result in some kind of uh you know global trade uh conflict that says well we're not going to export trash anymore we're going to keep it all here and recycle it or compost it and you know this is going to be part of the green new deal as funding all these factories to figure this stuff out and compost capacity increasing and and all of that it would be a reasonable path to take to stimulate the economy I, you know i studied um, economics and i think government spending is is really one of the best ways to stimulate an economy especially once your uh, other tools are uh, expended like uh, quantitative easing and lowering interest rates and all the things that have been done pretty much our, our last uh, option left is is uh, government spending to um, kickstart the economy and, and get things going again so hopefully those types of uh, expenditures are not just going to you know existing large corporations to you know, further enrich stockholders but instead building the infrastructure that we need uh, and manufacturing capacity as well as composting capacity and organic farming um, bio-based product manufacturing these kind of things that need to happen for us to go to zero waste and are going to take some uh, pretty ambitious uh, funding sources and and programs to get us uh, yeah, to that point yeah i think it's going to take a whole lot of a whole lot of inputs from financial to policy to behavior all that all that stuff i hear so many people say well isn't it great you know like look how clean the air is in la and like there's so much less pollution in china and well there's like i don't know if this is an actual thing or not but canals in venice having clear water and dolphins swimming in it i i hear that might have been um you know, fake news, but 
Um, there's definitely wildlife cruising around the city. There, there's stuff happening. So I could see there being, um, you know, a recognition of, wow, like, look how clean things could be. Why don't we just uh, keep it that way instead of going back to, you know, polluting and driving cars yeah. everywhere and, and whatnot. Uh, yeah. I mean, that, that's another thing though, is like oil is $20 a barrel and uh, you can't even get a shared Uber anymore. Carpooling I've heard is banned or something like that in some places. So, you know, if everyone does go to single occupancy vehicles uh, uh, more so than before and avoids right. public transit, that could be a negative. Well, one of the, one of the, I don't know if this is an indicator, but it's certainly something that's happening is since we've, since we've gone to shelter in place in the Bay area, or at least in Oakland, we've had two days of rain where at uh, leading up to it, we had, we're on the long, yeah. the, the longest drought in February ever recorded. Yeah. I don't know if there's a causation there, but it has been nice. Uh, some of the, the, uh, most beautiful days I've seen lately is just, uh, I, I was touring a potential compost facility over in Petaluma the other day and it was just perfectly clear air. Grass was green and lush. Uh, the cows were happy. They didn't mind at all. They're like cruising around there. Uh, you know, a lot of birds and wildlife. So uh, things are definitely looking well for the environment. It's, uh, it's interesting to see the human impact being reduced uh, so substantially and how well, um, you know, nature is responding and how clear, how quickly the air clears, for example, or how quickly uh, coyotes come back to roaming around the streets of San Francisco. Yeah, that would be great. Oh, that's happening. I've seen a lot of pictures of wildlife. I haven't seen it. I'll have to check that out. Uh, yeah, you, mm -hmm. but you're right. I mean, it's if less people are on the streets, it kind of opens up that space and the, yeah, it doesn't, wouldn't scare off the, the wildlife. That's, that's good. And the preservation. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they'll settle in. Just have like coyotes instead of, I lived up in Fairbanks for a year pigeons. and, uh, would often see moose just walking down the middle of the street, you know. Moose are the most dangerous animal, uh, I believe, uh, there is for humans. They they take out more people than any other wildlife. <laughs> and that could maybe be. I mean, the Africa. key is you don't want to get in between them and their young. That's when they really get pissed off. So that's one thing that if you see a moose, you have to quickly check your surroundings to see if you're, if there's a, a bait, you know, a, they're young any, or another moose anywhere near. Uh, that's when they charge hard, hardcore. Okay. I mean, they might charge for other reasons if they're just flying solo, but that was the big thing. Uh, the big PSA up in Alaska when I was up there. All right, Randy, good tip. I will keep that in mind if I'm ever facing, uh, you know, a moose staring me down and, and potential moose babies behind me. But hopefully I'm, I'm not in that situation because, man, those things are tall. They are. They are I was surprised when I saw, until I saw one in person. They're, and because, like, their legs are really, really long. And they're, they're, they are, I can, 
goofy, they're goofy looking. <laughs> yeah, they're lanky, but they got some muscle on them too. Uh, I, I would not yeah. want to have one of those things charge me. And and <laughs> honestly, they're my favorite meat. So like, I was working up at the a rescue mission up there, Fairbanks Rescue Mission, and they had a uh, a freezer, walk-in freezer, in a butcher shop because they got all the roadkill. The police would 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 deliver the roadkill. And it was like Bubba Gump's moose. It was like moose everything, moose burritos, moose omelets, moose stew, moose burgers. Uh, and it's really good. You know, I mean, that's something that I think we could take from this whole um, COVID-19 thing is we should stop eating wildlife and maybe even just move to a more vegetarian diet because these... Uh, these viruses are present in all kinds of other mammals that, you know, uh, can potentially shift to humans when we eat them. And I think this COVID-19 thing came from a bat that uh, is some sort of delicacy in China. And so by eating wildlife, this whole thing uh, happened in the first place. So I'm, I'm hoping that we'll see more of a, a move toward a more plant-based diet in the face of all this. It'd be great if China did that just as a whole, but no. people don't like me saying that. Um, they're more of a authoritarian country and that, that could actually happen as opposed to trying to tell Americans they have to, you know. Yeah, that could be, that's one plants. of the, like, the take home messages from all this, right? It's like, uh, if you were eating plants, you'd be fine. The vegans were yeah. right. That's nuts. I can't believe. I mean, there's probably hardly any meat on a bat. It's like eating a mouse. Anyways. I don't know what eating a mouse is it's like. Tough, man. If you're if you're eating mice, times are times are tough. Times aren't that tough yet. <laughs> yeah, we're we're not things aren't that bad yet. Yeah, they're not that bad. But even if they did get that bad, I I would expect that that would be a really bad move because then, you know, we could just never something over with some other yeah house virus i've been eating a lot of wild foods lately actually yesterday i had a pesto made out of common weeds like cleaver and what is it stinging nettle and <laughs> uh chickweed and some other things i went i meant uh seaweed harvesting and ate a bunch of seaweed uh i got some great morel mushrooms out of my yard because I was actually out there gardening and mulching and realized, oh, there's morels growing right here in my front yard. You know, I've been, I've been really lucky to be able to, to eat more close to the land as a result of all this instead of being so busy that I'm like, oh, okay, frozen pizza or, or whatever because I don't have time to... Yeah, that's man, that's so cool that I never even thought about making a pesto out of wild grasses or weeds. Yeah, they're weeds, they grow everywhere. I mean, there's miner's lettuce, that was in there too, actually. But I have uh, chickweed, and um, well, the cleaver is just growing all around my compost bin right now. So I, I could just like pick that stuff up, and you got to get it before it gets to. Um, before it starts putting on seeds, you know, and they like stick to your pants or whatever, but it does get this like kind of sticky texture on it. So it's really easy to harvest. It all just kind of comes up together at once. And 
you do got to chop it up a bit, but uh, blend it with some some olive oil and oh man, right there. Put some pesto on my uh, the rest rest of my uh, Taco Bell tacos. <laughs> there you go. Have some wild pesto on your leftover Taco Bell tacos because yeah, for some yeah, reason you have a lot of Taco Bell right now. I do because. Because I couldn't, I couldn't stand with the uh, the grocery lines to get, just even get into the grocery store. I gave up. Bought three dollars of Taco Bell this morning instead. Right, right. Uh, really, really not smart oh gosh, when you're well. when you're when you've got like a limited inventory of toilet paper. It's a terrible idea. It, it is not a good situation. <laughs> it sounds like and. And actually, on that note, uh, it is time for us to wrap up. But uh, good luck with that whole situation. And uh, we'll have to like, check back in after uh, things go, and we'll see how our predictions uh, either came to pass. Yeah, man, the line's always off. open. Happy to, yeah, happy to talk. Thanks, thanks, for, thanks for talking today. That was, that was fun, man. That was great. Great. Yeah. Thank you. And hopefully we'll have you on again. All right. See you, Michael Recycle. All right. Take care. Signing off. Thanks for listening to another episode of Trash Talk Podcast. I'm Recycle Michael. And that.